you women will understand this better than you guys, I expect, but, uh, you know, it's hard to get dressed just right, and um, I, I bought a, uh, I purchased a new cincture, which is this rope-like thing that hangs around the waist uh, to go with these vestments, and it's different from my old one, and so it, it doesn't hold the stole in place right. You women know what I'm talking about, you know, with scarves or whatever belts. And so at the early service, for example, my stole ended up like this before the sermon was over. And I have listened to preachers preach like this, and I can never listen to them because I'm saying, fix your stole. It's, it's all crooked. So Steve, your assignment for this sermon. I want you to tell me if it's gotten all skewgy like that because of this new cincture, okay? Sandra, kick him if he need, you know, and say, tell him, tell him. All right, so, has, you know, so you can listen to the words and not visually be so horribly distracted. Because this may be an important sermon, and you may need to hear the words, and the stole's not important. Okay. Well, I'm always excited about sermon series when we do them. It's just a wonderful way to kind of take a several weeks focus and really center in on one piece of truth, if you will. So here we are uh, launching this fall uh, yet another sermon series. This one has its own unique qualities in that we are going to take a book of the New Testament, a letter of Paul, and engage it. And in fact, uh, we have um, enriched it this time because we have what's titled Ephesians at Home, uh, which is on the website if you simply want to uh, resource it there. But there are also copies of this available at the back of Door Hall, maybe in the atrium, I'm not sure. But um, uh, th- this is a, the study guide, and the intention is um, for you at home, um, if you're an individual, if you're a couple, or if you are a family, this is available for you to practice some faith-at-home discipline, discipling in your own family. So here, here's an exciting additional element that you may wish to try. It's not meant to be done every day of the week. It's not meant to be uh, that uh, challenging, but perhaps once or twice between now and next Sunday to take the first segment and engage it. And of course, what will happen is it will make this sermon series all the richer and your insights into God's Word all the more wonderful and deep. So keep that in mind. And uh, remember the heading that we gave to this sermon series that we shared last week. Um, that understanding from John 15, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. And then he says, I chose you and I appointed you to bear fruit, fruit that will last. So there's a marvelous trajectory of God's intention for our lives from selection, uh, equipping, and then uh, the appointing, if you will, and a task and something that will bear good fruit uh, in, the, if you will, your world. Maybe your home, it may be the marketplace. Maybe in your social setting, maybe uh, from uh, within the context of this church family or whatever. So uh, the title of the series is "Friends of Jesus," friends of to one another. I'm sorry, friends of Jesus, friends of one another, and friends to others. So this morning, what we're focusing on is the first element of that: friends of Jesus. Paul is very succinct in the passage we've heard this morning. As you engage the study guide this week, it may even perhaps become clearer. But what he offers here is, um, he says it twice, and the second time he unpacks it a little further in verse 8. He says, it is by grace 
you have been saved. Through faith. This is not from yourselves. Can't do it yourself. It's not self-effort. It is the gift of God. So this is one of those places where Martin Luther and others have looked for a profound wisdom. It has even become the, called and named the Protestant principle out of the 16th century. But uh, it's as clear as it can be in Paul's letter. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, by Jesus Christ alone. It's a great thing to take to heart and take to, take to memory. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, by Jesus Christ alone. Grace. Great biblical word. It means a gift. We don't buy gifts. We receive gifts or if we're the, on the receiving end. It's a gift. It's free. It's unearned, undeserved, unmerited from God to you and me. Now, I need to tell a bit of a personal story about my own family to try to get a hold of going deeper than just this grace word we hear so often about. I, I can tell you how I once was able to appropriate this word at a deeper level in terms of, oh, God is like that. So let me tell a bit of a story about some of my family. And this focuses on um, generations past. My, not only my father died young, my grandfather died even younger and left his wife a widow with four teenage boys. The third one's name was John. This family came back to the South. They had been serving. My granddaddy was serving at a church in Madison, Wisconsin. They came back to their home base without a father, without a husband. In essentially that uh, the 20, that 20s and 1930s uh, time of mostly many people knowing southern impoverishment. They were totally broke, without employment, and without a, a breadwinner for the family. And so it, it was really, really tough for uh, this, these four sons and for my grandmother. Um, just to keep the story short and succinct, the third one, my Uncle John, um, as did his other, the other three, all made it through college in a very difficult time to get a college degree. And by some fortuitous circumstances, John even made it to Harvard and graduated from Harvard Law School. And so from a very, very meager and modest beginning, uh, a Harvard Law School graduate who returned to Columbia to the, his home state and had a very, very successful career as a lawyer in Columbia until he was hired by South Carolina National Bank and hired to become the chief executive officer, the CEO, and chairman of the board. At that time, before bank deregulation, South Carolina National Bank was the largest bank in South Carolina by far. And so my uncle's offices were in the tallest building in South Carolina, in Columbia, that was built for this, by this bank. His office was on the top floor, and it was a huge suite of offices, and he sat behind a massive desk. And, uh, and there he, if you will, um, um, led the bank. 
Well, as I've told you before, my father died when I was 18 years old, five months out of high school, and my father suddenly died. And I was adrift and devastated and uh, heartbroken. Um, I was very close to him. And in the midst of that, my uncle began to pick up the pieces of Michael. Uh, he not only financially helped my mother and I get me through college, he kept a watchful eye on me. And when it was time for looking for a job after college, it was my uncle who opened doors for me in the business world in Columbia. He said, I can't get you a job, but I can certainly introduce you to people who might be interested in hiring you and so on and so forth. And so I had uh, interviews with several top-level companies and ended up being hired by IBM and worked there in my 20s, um, I, you know, thanks to Uncle John opening the door. I went through a very tragic, if you will, we perhaps all have had them, um, love relationship with a young girl whom I was in love with, and it ended sadly, and uh, just before I met um, my beloved Ellen, and um, my uncle intervened in that, even called the other family as this thing kind of got very embroiled and complicated and chaotic. He was that kind of hands-on person for my life. Undeserved, unmerited, unexpected, simply gift of his wisdom and his interest in me. Even to the point that I could call him any day of the week. And he would make space on his calendar to see me within a day or two. And I'd come up to his office, and he would give me as if I had all the time in the world. It was really quite, quite wonderful to watch him sometimes as he held forth from behind that desk. Um, on more than one occasion, with one name or another, the phone would ring, and his wonderful administrative person who had greeted me so warmly at the door, Mrs. Chandler, whom I'll, I'll never forget either, I'd be sitting there, and she said, uh, um, uh, she would interrupt our conversation and say, uh, that the call has come in, and my uncle would pick up the phone and say, well, hello, Strom. And, you know, it'd be Strom Thurman. And uh, other, you know, he worked at that level. And in the midst of that, his grace to me was overwhelmingly powerful. I could never repay him. There's nothing he needed. He had all the material things, wants of the world. All I could do was say thank you, which I did over and over again in written form as well as uh, verbally, just to say, I don't know, you know, thank you. And he would encourage me, as I've shared here before, he would say, well, pass it on. That's, the, that's how you can pay me back, pass it on. That, for me, is the best story I can get a hold of to get an idea of what Paul is talking about when he speaks of God's grace to you. He loves you like that. You know, enthroned on high. This is the creator of the universe. The creator. He's invited us to call him Father. And he will look out for us through thick and thin, regardless of what the world throws at us. Devastation, disease, disappointments. God says, I will be there. And when it all comes to the end, I will be there. And your end will simply be a new beginning for eternity. Salvation is by grace alone. Pure gift. Wow. Through faith alone. Faith means more than belief. 
Faith means more than belief and trust. Faith means belief and trust to such a depth that we are willing to reorient our lives around that which we have taken, have embraced in faith. We are willing to reorient the whole of our lives around that in which we believe and trust. That's the kind of faith the Bible is talking about. It's an active, living, dynamic uh, lifestyle is faith, is what Scripture means by that. Now, the world offers a challenge to that because there are a lot of counterfeits that offer themselves to you for you to believe and trust in. They're the obvious list of things we've heard through the years if we've sat in a church or sat perhaps in a school. Uh, One of the most obvious ones is always money. If you believe that money is the answer to all your problems, if you believe, have faith and trust in money as the answer to all your problems, then you will orient the whole of your life around the acquisition of money. Many people have, only to discover sooner or later that it is ultimately grossly inadequate to really sustain the Spirit in all times and conditions and circumstances. If it's not money, it might be social standing. Simply the need to belong in the right circle. Status. And so we orient the whole of our lives saying, I will be happy if I can simply be a part of that tennis club or be a part of that country club. That, that's where all the movers and shakers are, whether men or women. And that's where I need to be. Social standing. It doesn't take long to discover if that's what we've oriented our faith system around, that it also proves to be grossly inadequate and fall short. Well, I could go on and on and give you an example of those things. You could name them as well, or you could tell me stories from your life of what you oriented your life around. It can get even pretty sticky and difficult sometimes because what we might orient our lives around is our spouse, our husband, or our wife. Or we might orient our lives, and mothers often are uh, tempted to do this, orient our lives, the whole of our lives, around our children. That's the ho- that they mean everything to me. Nothing else matters as much as them. And somehow that becomes the center of everything we fa- say, think, and do is the, our children and our attention to them and our interaction with them and our helping them. It sounds good in, in and of itself, but it ultimately proves inadequate for you and is not helpful to them. Even that sort of faith and devotion. Now, it doesn't say we love them less than we do now. It simply is an invitation that God is in the center of our lives in such a way that our family, our spouse, our children, as well as our career and our vocation and our other interests are all under this one central truth. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. And the faith that the Bible tells us about is the only sustainable faith. It sustains us now, the past, present, and future, and it will sustain us forever, and that is to put your life in the hands of God. 
Believe in Him. Trust in Him. And orient the whole of your life around Him. By grace alone, through faith alone, by Jesus Christ alone comes salvation. I love Christianity. I expect you do as well. I love Christianity at its best and purest and brightest. There are deviant forms of Christianity in communities as well as individuals that are not very pretty. In a global way, they're called heresies. And in a personal, individual way, they're some sort of psychotic malfunction of a person. But Christianity in its purest form is a beautiful thing because it looks like a lot of Jesus people functioning in their worlds. And the way Jesus functions is this, one word, love. More concern for others than for oneself. Concern for oneself too in an appropriate proportion. Love of God, love of others, love of self. And Jesus gives us an example. He not only tells us to love, he says, love like this. And he lives out a life of love towards destitute, desperate, the least, the last, and the lost, if you will. He loves and cares for them. And he says, we should do, can do, likewise, if we are his followers. It's the opposite of power, and it's the opposite of control. Jesus is an example. That's why we read his story. We read the Gospels. We say, well, how would Jesus handle this situation? A woman was caught in the very act of adultery, brought to be stoned. What would Jesus do? And we get a story of profound love. We could go over and over. Zacchaeus being pulled down out of a tree. Jesus says, this is the one who needs my love and attention today. It goes on and on, doesn't it? He's an example. He's also substitute. In the Old Testament, in the old books of the Old Testament, the Jews offer this wisdom that the life, the life is in the blood. It's why the blood was treated with great reverence and holiness. Uh, you were there, one handled blood, even the blood of a sacrificed animal, very, very carefully and honorably, because the life is in the blood. It's why the blood was returned to the Lord, because the life is in the blood. And so it, 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 there's a, that sacrifice, the, the blood is returned to the Lord, um, returned to the ground, uh, or used in the sacrifice in some fashion and consumed, burned up. The life is in the blood. And so we come to that sacrifice, we come to the cross, and we see that what is shed is not only the blood of Jesus, but his life, because the life is in the blood, and in the blood being shed, he is giving his life for the world. He's the substitute. We have done those things which we ought not to have done. We have not done those things which we should have done. We do them sometimes chronically, over and over and over again. And there's a cost for that, and that is alienation between God and us. And Jesus says, somebody needs to pay that price. And he says, I will. The life is in the blood. There's power in the blood too, Scripture tells us, as that great old 
spiritual tells us there's power in the blood and in that blood shed the substitution takes place and the chasm that separated us from God the chasm of sinfulness and waywardness and rebellion and disobedience the chasm is bridged by the love of Jesus as he substitutes his life for ours the loveliest life that ever lived the purest life that ever lived and it's nailed to the cross and given up for us so Jesus' example He's substitution, and he's also the enabling power. He says, the Spirit is with you, but the Spirit will be in you and will even come upon you because willpower will prove to be inadequate for you to turn your life around as you reorient it towards your Father in heaven. So the Holy Spirit is made available through the offering of Jesus. He says, it will come, he will come, he will fall on you. He will be in you. He will come upon you. He will be with you to enable a community to do things that did not dare dream possible and to enable an individual to do things that that person did not dare dream possible. Jesus Christ alone, who is example, thank you for the perfect example, Lord, who is substitute, oh, Lord, holy Jesus, substituting himself for us, paying the price. He is the source of enabling power, what we call comfortably or what we call usually the, the Holy Spirit. Salvation, Paul writes today, is by grace alone, through faith alone, by Jesus Christ alone. That is why Individuals get so excited when somebody says, I have found it. I have found that truth. And others celebrate with them. We call it in the sermon series, the aha moment. It may take years to get to the aha moment, or it may happen in such a flash of time, just an instant of time where I was blind and now I see. I was lost and now I'm found. The aha moment. So next week, Stay tuned. Let's look forward to the second part of this sermon series built around the aha moment. I have this conviction about aha moments. If you never have had it, you desperately need it. If you have had it, there is always something more awaiting you because the aha moment can be repeated. You see but you can see better. You see better, but you can see best. You see best, you can see more. The aha moment is for wherever we are in our Christian walk. But there's nothing like that first aha moment. Nothing like it in the world. Stay tuned. Amen.